everybody. This is Nurse Mo. Welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. This is episode 138, and today we are talking about the QT interval. Before we hop into that, though, let's take a very quick detour for our listener shout out today. And these go out to those of you who take the time out of your busy schedule to rate and review the podcast. So this listener shout out goes out to Maria Lisa, who writes this short but sweet message. Love with an exclamation point. This podcast is amazing and so helpful. Helping tons throughout nursing school. And that's it. You guys don't have to write a whole novel to let me know how much you enjoy and benefit from the podcast. So get out your iPhone or wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and take a quick minute to subscribe and write a review. And maybe you'll be one of the next students on my listener shout out. Okay, you guys, so today we are diving into a little bit more of an in-depth, more of an advanced concept. We're talking about the QT interval. So if you have not yet learned cardiac electrophysiology, how to analyze EKGs, you might want to hold off on this one until you get to that component. Most likely it will be in your advanced med surge class or listen now and then when you learn it in class later, it will be review at that point and that always feels really, really good. So when you start taking care of patients who are on cardiac monitoring, and you may hear this called tele-monitoring as well, you need to chart a few key EKG measurements once every shift, and of course, anytime there is a change in your patient's rhythm. So these key measurements are the PR interval, the QRS, the QT, and the QT. C. So you probably are already very well versed in the PR interval and the QRS measurements, but maybe you haven't really dived down into the QT and why you actually need to measure it. So let's just take a quick moment and review some of those key EKG components. So when you're taking a look at your strip, You can, and if you're not looking at a strip right now, close your eyes unless you're driving or walking near a cliff and visualize one. You've got your P wave, which is followed by a QRS in a normal rhythm, right? And then your T wave. There are also U waves present, but you can't always see them. And really, it's not something that you regularly need to assess for in your patients. That would be a way more advanced feature that we don't even need to really even be talking about. So again, P wave followed by a QRS followed by a T wave. So that P wave represents atrial depolarization and also that atrial contraction. The QRS, on the other hand, represents the ventricular depolarization and its contraction. And then the T wave represents the repolarization of the ventricles. So what is that QT interval? The QT interval is the measure of time between the onset of the Q wave and the end of the T wave. So this interval represents the time that depolarization and repolarization of the ventricle occur. Okay, I'll say that again. This interval from the beginning of the Q wave to the end of the T wave represents 
depolarization and repolarization of the ventricle. So why is this so important? To understand why it's important, we need to talk for just a moment about the refractory period. After the cardiac cells depolarize, they must then recharge or repolarize. This recharging phase is what we refer to as that refractory period. So generally speaking, a refractory period is one in which the cell is unable to have another action potential. More specifically, there is also this absolute refractory period where no new action potentials can take place. And this is followed by a relative refractory period where an action potential could occur if the if the stars are aligned, Venus is in Scorpio, and everything is in its absolute perfect place. But here's the thing about that. You do not want an action potential to occur during this time. If an electrical stimulus hits during this relative refractory period, premature depolarization can occur. And it can occur before those cardiac cells are completely repolarized. And the result is that the heart can go into a dangerous and lethal ventricular arrhythmia. And nobody wants that. So this is why we keep such a close eye on that QT interval. So how do we measure it? So again, we're looking at our strip, our six-second EKG strip. In leads 2, V5, and V6, we're going to measure from the beginning of the Q wave to the end of the T wave. So that sounds simple enough, right? Well, the thing is, you also have to account for variations in heart rate in order for that QT interval to be most accurate. And this is what we call a corrected QT. You'll hear it referred to as a QTC. So the Q and T are both capitalized, and then the C is lowercase. That stands for corrected QT. And this represents what the QT interval would be if the heart rate were a steady 60 beats per minute. So by correcting the QT to represent a steady rate of 60, we're able to compare QT intervals of varying heart rates with a pretty set degree of consistency. So the next question you're probably asking is, how do I correct the QT interval, Nurse Mo? Well, there are several formulas available for correcting that QT interval. The most commonly used and most simple one is called Bazet's formula, and it's you'll want to use when the heart rate is between 60 and 100. If your rate is outside this range, then the next best formula to use is Fredericia's formula or Framingham formula. But don't have a panic attack. I'm not going to ask you to memorize any of these formulas because they can be a little bit complex. The easiest thing to do is actually just go online or go into your facilities intranet. Most likely they have one there and use an online QT calculator. I'll include a link in the show notes to the one that I like to use when I'm not at the hospital using the one there. You can also download an app such as MedCalc and use that as well. I know the Philips monitors we use in my unit 
have an e-caliper function so that way you can measure all of your intervals right there from the monitor and it actually does the calculation for you that way. So hope that helps you feel a little less stress about the fact that there are formulas involved in correcting a QT interval. So now that you've got your QT interval, your corrected QTC, what do you want it to look like? What do you want it to be? So a normal QTC is 350 to 440 milliseconds for men and about 350 to 450 milliseconds for women. Once it gets above that 500 milliseconds range, you're at risk for bad things to happen. And we'll talk about those in just a bit. But first, what would cause a QT interval to be prolonged? I knew that was the next question you were going to ask, so here are a few things. So electrolyte imbalances can cause it, like potassium, mag, calcium, hypothermia, an increased ICP, intracranial pressure, ischemic cardiac tissues, or someone who's just had a cardiac arrest, some patients have congenital long QT syndrome, which is an inherited disorder, and then lots and lots and lots of medications can prolong the QT. A few of the most common ones that you'll run into are amiodarone, Haldol, procainamide, tricyclic antidepressants, Benadryl, erythromycin, Levaquin. I also believe famotidine can prolong it as well. So now let's say you've got a patient who has a long QT interval. What is the worst thing that could happen? I always like to plan ahead. Think about what is the worst thing that could happen so that I can be prepared to notice it immediately or notice it before it happens, kind of in that, um, you know, when the patient is spiraling down a little bit and then be ready to jump on it with the appropriate intervention. So the short answer to what is the worst thing that could happen if my patient has a prolonged QTC is that they could go into a lethal arrhythmia and basically have a cardiac arrest. So when that action potential hits on that relative refractory period, which is prolonged, when that QT is prolonged, then it can send the heart into that deadly rhythm. Typically, this will be either torsades de pointe or V-fib, both of which are deadly ventricular rhythms. So if your patient goes into either one of these, you need to jump on that quickly. This would be where you would bring in your ACLS knowledge. You're getting chest compressions going while your friend is running to grab the crash cart and defibrillator. If the patient's on a ventilator and they require chest compressions, typically what we do is we take them off the vent and we manually breathe for them using the BVM. So we're not going to extubate them and use the BVM. We attach the BVM to the ET tube, okay? We're going to go through our ACLS protocol for V-fib, and if they are in torsades de pointe, giving magnesium can help get the patient out of that lethal rhythm. So what are we going to do about a patient who has a prolonged QTC, 
They haven't had a cardiac arrest. They haven't gone into a ventricular rhythm, but you know, we definitely don't want them to. So if your QTC on your patient is prolonged, but not, you know, really scary prolonged, you'd want to make sure the MD is aware and then you will keep a close eye on that. You also want to take some time to identify the culprits, such as any of those things I listed before. Are there electrolytes imbalance? Are they an appropriate temperature? Are they taking one of those QT prolonging medications? Many times patients are taking multiple QT prolonging medications, so you would need to look at those, um, discuss those with the MD and or the pharmacist. And then, of course, you're reassessing that QTC. The standard is, you know, you do those measurements once per shift, typically per unit protocols, but it can vary. You're going to do it more often because you're keeping a close eye and you're following the trend. Now, if your QTC gets into that scary zone above that 500 milliseconds, you're probably going to talk with the MD about stopping all of those culprit medications and working with him or her to identify any other potential causes and obviously fix them. If electrolytes are out of whack, of course, you're replacing those. If their ICP is elevated, you can reduce that. If they're on an amiodarone drip, say because they were in, you know, atrial fibrillation, we use that a lot. With uh, atrial fibrillation with a rapid ventricular rate, we would maybe switch to a different therapy for that. You'll document your measurement, document that you communicated it to the MD, document what you did about it, document the patient's response to it, and document the new QTC. So there you have it, you guys, a quick introduction to the QT and the corrected QT interval, why it's so important, how you're going to monitor it and treat it in the clinical setting. So this is definitely one EKG measurement you do not want to ignore. So get in there and measure it with confidence. So I will see you back here next week when we'll be diving into pharmacology again and talking about a drug I've used a ton in the critical care setting, norepinephrine. And if you miss me between now and then, simply go to Instagram and follow Straight A Nurse. See you there. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.